Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Promos, Head of Institutional Content and Investment Magazine, and this is Market Narratives. This show is a series of unorthodox conversations with thought leaders influencing the world of fiduciary investors. For more related insights and analysis, please remember to check out our website, investmentmagazine.com.au, and subscribe for a free email. And with that, please enjoy this week's episode. My guest today is Mo Khan. He is the Vice President and Senior Quantitative Research Analyst at Causeway Capital Management. In this episode, we discuss how the sensitivity of ESG has changed over the past 10 years, the economic rationale between ESG and alpha, the importance of developing an internal view of ESG factors, and how they may line up with the many data sources and signals available. We also look at how ESG differs at the stock level versus integration at the portfolio level, how ESG integration can be sometimes viewed as an alternative to negative screens. We look at standardization of ESG reporting and its importance in making sure that there's consistency. Finally, we look at the role of investor education and the sharing of research between fiduciaries to try and fast track some of the developments that we've seen in ESG. I hope you enjoy the conversation. So look, maybe, maybe Mo, if you can give me a bit of context of what's happened over the last, let's say, five years that ESG has come to the forefront. Was ESG not part of the forefront five, 10 years ago? What's changed in, in terms of your thinking there? Thank you, Alex. Uh, actually, a lot has changed, and ESG is a very rapidly evolving space. Uh, I think one of the big things that's happened in the last five or ten years, a lot, but you know, increasing consumer awareness, increasing uh, scrutiny and focus from uh, policymakers and regulators, and increasingly new research evidence that ESG issues, a variety of ESG issues actually matter for return and risk. And so, you know, I think even going back five years, there might have been an impression that ESG issues are more uh, nominal, that they don't really impact return and risk. Uh, From there, I think we move to sort of the sense that ESG issues might have an impact on risk and particularly thinking about headline risk. and I think with more research evidence, uh, it is now, I think there's now an increasing belief that ESG issues matter for both return and risk and therefore very relevant for fiduciary investors. Is the evolution also because when ESG was seen historically, it was more of a screen uh, and, and a negative screen that people look to take out particular stocks that were problematic. And now we're actually drilling down into the particular factors within companies that are problematic and and looking more deeply. That's certainly part of it. Uh, and uh, you're right that, you know, these negative screens as socially responsible uh, screens have been around for quite a while. And that might have uh, fed this perception that ESG issues are sort of limited to the left tail uh, of outcomes and are risk relevant, but not maybe not so much alpha relevant. You know, a lot of the issues, there are many issues that we're beginning to understand more clearly that their risk and return impact, their return impact in particular is increasingly coming into focus. If you think about climate change, you know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, this was certainly not, you know, the, the transition and physical risks and opportunities from climate change certainly were not very well understood. Now we have this increasing push towards low carbon mobility. You can see, you know, in the UK, for example, uh, expected to ban the sale of uh, petrol vehicles from 2030. 
opportunities for uh, developing new technologies in um, uh, electric vehicles, in batteries, and storage, energy storage, uh, renewable technologies. All of this has happened. You know, this is a lot of this is very recent. And so I think it's just a matter of one, increasing awareness, increasing understanding, and also, you know, frankly, just uh, many of these impacts are, uh, yeah, either the issues are new as with climate change, and so we're beginning to see the impact, or there is just heightened sensitivity around issues. If we think about, you know, social issues, maybe a company experiencing or alleged to have some unfair uh, labor practices, in the past, you know, analysts might look at that and say, well, there would be limited impact and that would depend on if there's some maybe litigation by employees and we expect the, you know, the award to be fairly low. Now, the, the, the impact transmission mechanism is very different. Uh, if the same thing is alleged at a company, it might, if it's part of a long supply chain, you know, it supplies, let's say, an electronics manufacturer, that manufacturer might suspend the supplier for a while until these issues are resolved. If the company is in fashion, it might, uh, with the accelerated uh, news cycle, with the availability of so, you know, social media, that, that the company could very, that brand could very quickly lose cachet and lose customers overnight. So I think the return and risk impacts, uh, there are different transmission mechanisms. There are uh, that have, and you know, a lot of these issues are both either new or there's increased uh, heightened sensitivity around them. So, you know, when you think about the heightened sensitivity about some of the negative factors, how much do you think ESG is now sort of almost uh, bifurcated in the sense that you've got these negative screens for for poor labor practices, climate-related risks versus the positive parts which are moving into new technologies around batteries, around new energy, um, new biotechnology? You know, how, how do you think about that piece? You know, as we think about ESG and, and potentially alpha, you know, is is the focus more on the positive? You know, the the right tail. You know, the the winds because there's this tailwind coming behind some of these ESG factors. Or do we think about it avoiding or cutting out the the negative left tail? It's a combination. So when you look at some of the research, the research that's been conducted by myself and others, if we, th- these really have an impact on the entire cross section of firms. And so when we develop, for example, measures or ESG ratings there's variation uh, in the cross section. And we can look at, for example, one piece of evidence would be looking at the return differential between companies with the strongest ESG characteristics versus companies with the poorest ESG characteristics. In my research, these scores are sector neutral. And so it's not, you know, any result is not being driven by a particular sector tilt, for example, it's not being driven by tilting towards technology companies that uh, have tailwinds in that sense. And so it's it's sector relative, the scores, and we can look at the performance differential between the best and the worst. And we see a very both statistically significant and economically significant performance differential, return differential, that is not due to any other style exposure. So it's not because, you know, if we form this long short portfolio, we're capturing any sort of value tilt growth tilt, momentum tilt, or any other uh, style exposure. It's strictly due to differences in uh, the ESG characteristics of these firms. So it really is, it's coming from the entire cross-section. You want to do, you know, there might be a role in portfolio construction for 
uh, a little bit of negative screening. So maybe you want to avoid the very, very worst performers. Uh, but then you can use the entire cross-section uh, to form the portfolio. And obviously you'd be overweight uh, the best and underweight the others uh, without resorting to negative screening. You know, is it fair to say that it, it's somewhat of a factor, this ESG? It's something that you could potentially go long short on? In, so it is a signal that we can exploit in the full cross-section. The evidence, uh, certainly in my research, is that we can form these long-short portfolios. But that's one way of looking at the return differential. Uh, if you're a long-only manager, obviously the long-short has a overweight-underweight interpretation. Um, so it can certainly be, you know, in terms of implementation, you can certainly implement this return predictive signal through a long short strategy. Uh, you can also implement it in other ways. You know, if you if you have a benchmark relative to which your assets are managed, uh, and uh, you're overweight the best stocks, uh, there might be, you know, there there might be a uh, way to implement it in that way as well. You know, when you think about the, the range of fiduciaries, fiduciaries have got different trustee boards, different corporate directors that, that help them and guide them. You know, how do you make sure that you, you know, as, a, as a portfolio manager, you think about their particular issues and then map them to a portfolio, given that so many funds have very different um, ways of, of looking at particular um, issues around labor rights and so forth? How do you, as a quantitative manager, think about um, that issue? Yeah, that's a great question. So we look at the issues that we emphasize uh, in our ESG metrics are those that some of the more prominent issues. Um, In the social pillar, we see increasingly an emphasis on uh, modern slavery risks within the supply chain and within a company's operations. And so that's been an area of focus where we've constructed new metrics to really more accurately measure companies' exposures to those risks. Uh, and that's something that asset owners are increasingly, you know, it's a key issue for them. Uh, in environmental, in the environmental pillar, uh, climate change, it, transition and physical risks are very important. Uh, water intensities, uh, uh, waste intensities, these are important. Uh, and so we tend to place a heavier emphasis on them. You know, and, and we share very uh, in detail the research with asset owners. We they have a very clear understanding of the factors that are emphasized uh, in our models and are able to look at the, you know, the resulting portfolio to see the names in that portfolio and whether or not it, it conforms with uh, sort of their intuition and their priors about what they would expect, uh, you know, uh, the, the types of names they would expect to be good ESG companies. Mm-hmm. As, as you think about, obviously, you know, building, building your portfolio Data is a is a big part of that, um, and there are evidently data challenges with everything we do. You know, even in just traditional finance outside of ESG. But as you start to get into the nuance of ESG factors, even within climate change, you know, there's so many different factors to look at. You know, even if you just picked out um, exposure to water, that's very challenging. Exposure to different labor rights, very challenging. You know, how do you think about um, you know creating a an ordinal structure? Um, around the data that you use to then build the portfolio. Yes, data certainly uh, certainly challenges with the data, with the ESG data. Um, a very common finding is that there is disagreement between different uh, ESG ratings providers. As you mentioned, this uh, 
disagreement in a sense in ratings or heterogeneity of views is very common in finance. Uh, in it's, it's common also to other, if you think of other style factors such as quality. What does quality mean? Quality means different things to different managers, to different uh, uh, fund providers. And if you look at you know, different uh, uh, portfolios, quality portfolios, they would not be a 100% overlap in terms of the names they hold. There might be low correlation in the returns. Uh, you know, is quality about profitability? Is it uh, about the quality of the earnings and their persistence? Is it about the uh, uh, you know, profit growth, profit stability, capital structure is about payout uh, or investment or some combination thereof. So uh, heterogeneity in views or in measurement of other factors and signals is very common in finance. It's not limited to ESG. Um, the second point that I would make is that this disagreement between ratings providers does not imply that the ratings are wrong. Uh, because ESG is, you know, it's sort of an umbrella term for a, a multitude of issues. And so any ESG perspective, view or rating is really multidimensional. And there you would expect disagreements uh, between different ratings providers because, you know, the fact their scope might be different, the methodologies that they employ might be different, they might place different weight on different issues, uh, which was part of your question. And so these ratings could be right, but they're just a different perspective on the ratings. And so it might be useful to combine uh, these different ratings to get sort of a more comprehensive view. And then the third point that I'd make is actually with these ratings disagreements are, is a source of opportunity then for active investors to deploy their own insights to maybe construct uh, better and more accurate metrics. Uh, one of the, you know, one of the question, the, the other question is there, there, you know, there's so much data, there's so many signals, there's so many issues. What do we look at? Uh, what do we focus on? What do we emphasize when we're constructing these metrics quantitatively? And so, you know, I think there are two steps. Uh, there are a couple of steps. The first is understanding what is important sort of uh, from a uh, domain expertise, uh, having that domain expertise or that domain knowledge. And so if you run some back tests on climate change factors, you might find that historically, if you go back 10 years, they have not, they may not have predicted returns 10 years ago. Uh, they might do so increasingly, but there might be some factors where you do not see return predictability. But then if you have the sense based on your knowledge of the ESG space that there are regulations coming, there's increasing consumer awareness, and you might think as a portfolio manager, hey, these are actually factors that I want you know, my portfolio uh, to have some resilience to because I think they're going to matter increasingly, or if they're favorable, then I want to have exposure to these factors uh, because I think they're going to matter increasingly uh, going forward. So there's a role for that. The other, uh, I think, uh, technique that one can use is really modern machine learning techniques and statistical learning techniques where we can have you know, an array of signals and we can use these techniques to parse out what might be more relevant, what we should emphasize more. And so essentially there's a selection element there. We can use that uh, either to select or if we prefer to rely on domain expertise to select the factors, then there is a role even beyond that for sort of compressing the space 
of signals that we're looking at using dimension reduction techniques. Um, ultimately, what we want is we want to select the factors that are going to perform well out of sample and, and to construct a model that's going to perform well out of sample. So, uh, you know, ultimately, in terms of factor selection, I would say those two are those are the two uh, key themes. One is domain expertise, and the other is uh, modern machine learning techniques. What do you think, you know, for an investor that is probably something that they don't understand around the actual integration of ESG into the portfolio? You know, obviously there's many different factors that you've, you've talked about and the dimensions you need to pull down. What, what is something that you maybe in terms of your conversations with investors that they haven't really um, understood um, in terms of their, their level of um, implementing what they would like to see from an ESG perspective to what actually is available in terms of capturing those characteristics in their portfolio? I think there is, you know, there, 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 um, there, there might be some dissatisfaction on the part of some investors with uh, some of the third-party ESG ratings. But, you know, I think there is an understanding that there are limitations, that they're imperfect, but they're still viable for use. Uh, in terms of integration, you know, there are many pieces. One is the data, uh, the raw data. The other is constructing the signals, constructing a model, and there we, you know, I think you, you, you want to have, uh, for a manager, I think it's useful to have their own view and sort of proprietary metrics. Um, and in terms of actual integration in the investment process, I think, you know, asset owners are looking for a thoughtful approach. They're looking for commitment on the part of managers, uh, a b evidence-based belief that ESG issues matter for return and risk, and then a thoughtful implementation, integration in the investment process. Um, are your analysts trained uh, on these issues? Uh, do they, are they, you know, for example, do you share the research evidence with them? Do you, is there uh, robust discussion internally uh, among the analysts about these issues and how they may or may not be relevant and material? Um, have you built tools internally to facilitate integration of uh, ESG issues in the investment process? Uh, do you look at the materiality when you're considering an investment case, if you're a fundamental investor? Uh, do you look at, uh, you consider material ESG issues for every investment case that you look at? So the tools are important. And then the third is, is there alignment on the part of analysts? So do you have some way to hold them accountable for integration of ESG issues? Uh, it might be part of their performance assessment. Do you uh, assess them on, uh, on uh, their you know, adherence to implementation and integration procedures? So I think it's a, it's a discussion with asset owners. There is clearly a, uh, an interest on their part to understand, you know, different managers have different integration approaches. They use, they might use different data. They might have, uh, they might conduct, some might conduct research internally, some might rely on external research. And I think it's ongoing sort of discussion with asset owners for them to understand what each manager is doing to understand what the uh, advantages and disadvantages of different approaches might be. And uh, ultimately to get a sense of 
what works best for them in terms of, and I, I think what their primary interest is, number one in alpha and number two in sort of exposure, uh, controlling exposures to ESG issues that they care about. To dig deeper into that, I'm curious around how do you think about you know, at an individual stock level, some of the ESG alpha opportunities versus then building this into a portfolio and thinking about the ESG um, you know, overlay across that full portfolio. Because obviously for fiduciaries, they still have return targets and risk targets. So while you still need to break down individual companies, you need to think about them as a portfolio and think about all the different ESG uh, interactions within the portfolio. How do you then separate that as part of the, the process? Yes. So as a quantitative investor, you know, it begins with an understanding of how the ESG issues impact return and risk at the company level. And so we would, for example, think about each sector, think about how these issues might impact a company. But then you also have to, once, you, once you've developed this intuition, you also have to step back and say, all right, how do I quantify this now? in a systematic way such that I can obtain, I can then develop a score for every single company that I'm looking at. And it could be, you know, obviously in other areas of finance, we're familiar with, uh, you know, if we're thinking about the risk of a company, we're just thinking of its cap and beta. And uh, we have the intuition that, you know, how does a company, how do, do its stock returns move uh, with the market? And then we can, we have a way to estimate that beta for every firm. So we can do this with other, with ESG issues, ESG signals, we develop the intuition at the company level, but then as quants, as quantitative investors, we can take a step back and systematically develop a formula, a way, a methodology to estimate uh, these scores or exposures for every company in the cross section. Uh, and then it becomes, a, and then you can apply standard portfolio construction techniques. You can, if, 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 you're right, the number one, uh, goal, the number one objective for fiduciary investors is alpha. And that is what, when we're constructing, uh, at least at Causeway, constructing ESG scores, that is uh, front of mind. That's what we're looking for ultimately as investors, as fiduciary investors. And so if it is related to alpha, then as part of a, a quantitative uh, uh investment process, you can combine this, it can be part of the alpha engine, it can be part of the alpha model, and you can combine it with traditional, uh, with a traditional multi-factor model. You can also incorporate that same score as a constraint. Um, and, and you can do both uh, if you're trying to achieve a certain tilt. And, uh, you know, in, an, in a fundamental investment process, you can use the insights from that model. You can have a score for every firm in the cross-section. If you're looking at a specific company, you can say, all right, where does this, how does this rank within its sector? Uh, how does it rank within its region to, and you can use that as an input into developing sort of this holistic view of the investment case where ultimately what matters is the alpha, is the return performance. Can I just dig into the alpha performance? You know, you, if you look at the E, S, and G individually, there was a lot of focus for for a long period on on G, the governance um, space. You know, how much do you see the G as being correlated to what you then see as you know good performance from a social metric and from a you know environmental metric? You know, is G still the strong part, or are they equally divided in terms of their you know the risk loading um, on the factor? Yes, G has always been, governance has always been important uh, to investors, as you point out, traditionally. 
And uh, there, there are a couple of developments. One is uh, new ways of thinking about governance for, for global investors and what is relevant for global investors. Um, historically, I think we've sort of viewed governance from a very US, UK centric perspective. Uh, and obviously for global investors, there are different challenges and different issues, so different factors that they would need to consider even in governance. Considering comparing governance to environmental and social issues, governance is still the strongest piece, but it's less than half. And so it's greater than a third, but less than a half. Uh, social issues are quite important, uh, but they are, I think, consistent with intuition in terms of generating alpha. They're the least important of the three, but they're no, by no means is the weight on them trivial or negligible. Uh, it's still an important weight. It's less than a third, uh, but it's not, uh, it's, it, it, it's not trivial. And so that's roughly the rank ordering. Governance the most important, but you know, a bit over one third. Uh, environmental, uh, roughly in the middle there. And social issues, less important than governance and environmental, but um, you know, non-trivial weight. <laughs> You know, when, when you think about the, the, the weightings for this, obviously data is important. One part we didn't discuss when we were talking about it is the disclosure reporting standards that we see, and they're very different around the world. You know, how do you think about um, when you're looking at a portfolio, a global portfolio, for example, how do you then try to adjust for different disclosure and reporting standards? That is, uh, th that is another challenge, as you point out, and companies, luckily though, I think a lot of companies are increasingly reporting on their sustainability ESG achievements and their goals and targets. So disclosure is improving because I think everyone realizes, companies realize how important it is uh, to outside parties. Uh, they're also being uh, the third uh, and the third party ESG ratings providers uh, have increasingly a lot of analysts. They have analysts in different regions uh, that might be relying on not just company disclosures, but also news items, regulatory filings, and so on. To the extent that there isn't full disclosure, obviously, because it's not mandated and it's not uniform, as with, for example, accounting, financial disclosures, uh, there would be some challenges, but I would say increasingly it's improving. How do you then think about ESG engagement? You know, being being a quant shop, obviously you you build your portfolio. Then how do you think about your ability to engage with these companies? Can you put that as a as a key element or a factor in terms of the types of companies that you want to put in the portfolio? Given that you know that they're more open to engagement, how do you think about it? Yes, I think engagement is definitely more. It's a more uh, viable approach, I'd say, for fundamental investors. And at Causeway, we have both quantitative and fundamental uh, investment capabilities. And you know, quantitative investors obviously hold in a quantitative portfolio. You'd have a lot more names, and there would generally be higher turnover. Uh, and so, engagement uh, is generally not uh, very viable. But definitely, it is for fundamental investors. And there the question becomes in terms of engagement, I, I think it's, it's important uh, and it's increasingly viewed as an alternative to negative screening. Instead of screening out companies, let's engage with them to try to effect positive change. Um, so there's more of a, I think that constructive approach is more in favor uh, today. 
engagement, I think, should also be selective. Obviously, for any investor, you can't engage with every single company in your portfolio. You want to be selective about which companies you engage with. And the way to do that, really, the approach has to be, first of all, to be to prioritize uh, your engagements. And so you have to develop a rule for prioritizing. Uh, it could be that maybe there's a particular issue that is of most interest to a manager. And they would say, well, I'm going to engage with companies in my portfolio that score the lowest on this particular issue. Or it could be, you know, so there might be other rules uh, or, or it might be something that, uh, an issue that's most important to uh, my investors, my, my, my clients. And so once you develop a rule for prioritizing, then you, can, you might look at the carbon footprint of companies in your portfolio and say, all right, I'm going to, engage with companies that have the largest footprint uh, adjusted for their sector. So that's the first part, prioritizing engagements. The second would be to plan the agenda. Uh, what exactly is, what is the desired outcome when you, if you were to engage with them? I think you have to have a clear sense of that. Uh, also have clarity around uh, what are the, what are the facts of the matter? Uh, what are the metrics that the company uses? And you know what are their goals? Are those appropriate? Uh, could they be more aggressive? Uh, and then once you've planned the agenda and you actually engage, then I think you want to have a record, a log of the interactions. You want to monitor sort of uh, the ongoing discussion. And at the very end, I think th this is something that could feed into uh, how the position is sized. Uh, it might ultimately lead, have some input uh, in that sense into the buy, sells, or trim decision. Let's move to education. Um, and all into you know all institutional investors seem to have their own ESG analysts or, or head of ESG, um, and it's similar around the world. Is there some way that maybe investors and managers can also work together a bit more? It's, it still feels a bit piecemeal in terms of um, the way each of them looks at it and the different elements that are important to them. You know, do you think about a way for investors to maybe share ideas around how they approach ESG to actually get more progress? You're absolutely right. Uh, that, uh, that coordination, that sharing of ideas is critical. Uh, managers with uh, investors, asset owners with uh, investment consultants, I think all of them working together and sharing uh, what, you know, what they've learned and, and their approach and what works best, that's critical. And there's been a lot of that. I, you know, we've, we've done a lot of that at Causeway. We regularly do that where we share our research, our findings uh, and our approach with investors with consultants and likewise we listen in on presentations by consultants when they describe you know their approach a lot of this for for a lot of companies for a lot of firms a lot of investors this uh, space is still new there's a lot to learn and we're all in this uh, you know shared journey and uh, I think this idea exchange and education plays a very important part in sort of moving this space forward. So I want to take it back to where we sort of started around ESG and alpha. You know, how do you think about the longevity of alpha, right? Alpha as a as a concept is is, obvi is obviously always there for for institutional investors. The challenge is trying to find it and also find it from a long-term perspective. How do you think about ESG and alpha having, you know, a continual ability for investors to capture it 
um, particularly as more and more people are moving down that that path, right? Is the inefficiency that you're looking for going to remain or we just have to keep looking in different ways to, to capture alpha? So at the moment, uh, there is, based on the research, there is very significant evidence of alpha. It's both economically significant, uh, the magnitude is large, and it's statistically significant. We have seen that this alpha has become increasingly important over the last few years. And given the general direction of ESG, uh, the ESG space, I think it's going to continue to be important for the foreseeable future. It's going to be very important. Lots of new developments that are going to have an implication for return and risk. Is this a durable source of alpha? And what happens as uh, obviously, you know, over time? I think there are a lot of durable sources of alpha, durable sources of compensated risk and return. If you look at the other style factors, if you look at the traditional style factors, um, a lot of them uh, were discovered a long time ago and continue to have efficacy. It is, it's difficult to forecast precisely how, but you know, what I would say is that there's no reason to believe that this alpha opportunity is going to disappear in the near future. Do you feel that the alpha opportunity may may evolve in terms of becoming more um, more nuanced? You know, like we, like we saw historically, this, let's say you go back 50 years when there was a lot of active managers, alpha was there, but passive has sort of taken away a lot of those opportunities. Do you see that there an evolution in terms of to find alpha in this sector, you need to be much more specific in the types of stocks that you pick? Yes, absolutely. I think there is a, definitely a role for continued uh, research in this area and development of new and novel metrics that are adapting to the changing lats- landscape, that are capturing new opportunities and new risks as they, uh, as they uh, arise from either from uh, policy and regulation or consumer preference. Uh, so there's absolutely that need, I think. And that's, that's in general, I would, you know, say that as an active manager, that's, that's an ongoing effort uh, is the research and you con- constantly want to uh, be at the cutting edge, uh, developing and refining, refining your metrics, developing new ones. And uh, uh, in, in order to sustain that advantage and uh, to be able to have that alpha potential. Mm-hmm. All right. That's a great place to leave it. Thank you very much for your time today, Mo. Thank you very much, Alex. Thank you for joining us. All views expressed on this podcast are subject to change and do not necessarily reflect the views of Connexus Financial. This podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as investment advice.